going to talk a bit more about communion this morning, so if you want to open your Bible to John chapter 13. <coughs> We're in a situation now where, as we come up to this, what we term as the Last Supper or the unfinished meal here. It's a bright morning in Bethany, overlooking Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, probably about three quarters of a mile to a mile outside of Jerusalem. Jesus is staying at Bethany with Martha and Mary, at the home of Martha and Mary, and obviously some of his disciples are there as well. And so they wake in the morning and they're ready to enter Jerusalem to have their last supper. The, The triumphal entry has already taken place maybe two or three days before this. There's a great hubbub in Jerusalem because a very public resurrection has taken place. Lazarus has been raised from the dead and that was at Bethany. And so we find ourselves in a situation where there's a great cry out amongst the people, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus, this rabbi from Nazareth who raises the dead and heals the sick and makes the blind to see? There were many who stood against him as well at this point in time. There were many, the Pharisees, the the leaders of the Jews, the Jewish ruling class, if you want to call it that. The people who didn't want the status quo to be changed. They wanted to know God in their terms, but they didn't really want to know God at all. And so Jesus, on this morning that he's already had this triumphal entry, the whole of Jerusalem is in a bit of an uproar altogether. He's raised Lazarus for the dead. The people have applauded him and and betted him and uh, already covered the triumphal entry. But, you know, this great entry they had into Jerusalem and they retreated back to to Bethany. And uh, here we are. He said, a supper at Bethany where Mary has anointed him. Mary of Bethany has anointed him with oil. And, of course, there was a kick-up about that as well that Judas had complained that, you know, that oil was worth a year's wages, surely we could have given it to the poor and Jesus said to him you know the poor you'll always have with you and I don't mean that, I don't think he meant that just in the physical sense you know the the spiritually poor will always be with us and the physically poor but what she has done for me is a great thing, It it was a prophecy of his death of the embalming and anointing his body So here he gets up in the morning, tells his disciples here at the start of chapter 13, it was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Just before the Passover, so we're talking within 24 hours certainly of Passover here. And it says that, you know, his time had come. How many times do we see in Scripture that Jesus talks about it and he said, you know, don't tell anyone about this. Go your own way and keep it a secret because my time has not yet come. And here he is actually saying, this was his time. This was to be the time. This was the reconciliation of a sinful man to a holy God. And Jesus Jesus would be the bridge between the two. And it said, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Jesus loves everybody, we know that. John 3 and 16 tells us that 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But those who are his own, those who by his blood and his spirit are born again, there's a special bond of love that comes between us because in some measure we love each other. Before we loved him, he loved us. And that creates that special bond that, that is between the Christian and their king. Yes, he loves the rest of the world and so should we. But we should love each other in, a, in, a, in an amazing way, in a unique way. As Christians, we should be able to love each other. And then unfortunately, there's so much, so much hassle within the church nowadays that people don't particularly love each other. Jesus said he now showed them the full extent of his love. Now you would think that the full extent of his love would be to to be hung upon the cross and yet the context of the way that's written is the full extent of his love is what follows immediately after in this text it's not it's not speaking about a, a future event although it could but in the main the way that that sentence is put together it speaks of what he's about to say now or what's about to happen now so the evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot the son of Simon to betray Jesus And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that he poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So we we have a Passover meal here. Picture the scene, a round table or at least maybe a U-shaped table. Everybody's reclining at the table. This was the Greco-Roman way of doing things. That You didn't sit in chairs as Michelangelo's depiction puts it, but you lay on the floor on cushions or maybe even on a low couch on the floor. And you lay on your left elbow and you fed yourself with your right hand. And so everybody, if it was a round table, it would be like a cartwheel with everybody's body sticking out in their feet on the outside so everybody would be arrayed that way and the master of the the master of the, the feast whoever he thought were was or people who thought they were closest to the master sat closest to the master at the feast so we find we'll find later that John was right next to him so there was this was the disciple whom he always said of himself the disciple whom Jesus loved I don't know whether that was a sarcastic remark or whatever but anyway that that was the way picture the scene there they are they're they're, they're lying at this table the first toast they would have they would break a bit of unleavened bread and they would would pour a a, a cup or a toast and this would be the cup of sanctification that they would have and this was this was to remind them that God had chosen a people and brought them out of Egypt brought them in some spiritual terms brought them out of the world Egypt was a type of the world. So he brought them out of the world. Sanctification is just a, a, a fancy word for saying to set them apart. Now, I know that you've all heard this story before, but I don't mind rehearsing it again because it's important to us. So he, he'd set them up. The, the, the cup of sanctification was a, was a setting apart. Blessed are thou, O Lord our God, who brought us out of the hand of the Egyptians. And then they would eat the bread and they would drink the cup. And then they would go on and I could go through the whole seder, the whole ritual, but I'm not going to do that. 
But the time would come when they would have a second cup. And the second cup would be what was termed as the cup of plagues. Blessed are thou, O Lord, our God, who smite the Egyptians with plagues and brought us into your glorious kingdom. That would be the sort of toast. I'm not saying that was the toast, but that's the, that's the type of toast that they would, they would put forward. And then they would eat that piece of bread. But before the whole thing had started, there would have been the, 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 the pouch that they had to keep the mats in, or the unleavened bread in. It was a pouch that was highly decorated on the outside. And it had three compartments in it. And they took a slice of matzah and put one in each of them. Now even the Jews today will tell you they don't know why. They don't know why they have three pouches and they don't know why they put one in each. They, they talk about Abraham, Isaac and Jacob as a representation. But really at the end of the day, spiritually, it's Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Because they take the middle one out. And they did in Jesus' day, they took the middle one out. They don't know why they take it out, but they take the middle one out. And they break it in two. And they took one half down and they take the other half and they wrap it in a linen cloth and they bury it. They hide it where it can't be found. And at the end of the day, and that's one of the reasons why I encourage the children to be part of the, the service of communion is at the end of the day, the children who were in the Passover meal were encouraged to go and find the hidden manna, what they call the afikomen. Now the Jews just still use the word afikomen, but it's not a Jewish word, it's a Greek word. And why they use a Greek word in their service, who knows? Only God knows. But the afikomen was the, was the, the sweetness or the dessert, the, the, the peace that came afterwards. And of course, at this point in time after the two cups were drank, now just remember the situation here. We're all in this and the guys are all getting into this and whoever else was there. It was time to find the it was time to find the Afikomen. Now who went and looked for it, I don't know. I don't know whether there were children there or whether it was just the disciples or whether some of the women were there. I haven't a clue. But we know that Jesus and his disciples were there. But whoever else was there, I'm not sure. Anyway, when the Afikomen is found, this is when they come to the third cup. The afikomen is found and it's opened. The linen sheet. Found for the dead. Raised for the dead if you want to call it that. And this was the piece of matzah that Jesus took. And he broke it. And he blessed it. And he said. This is my body broken for you. He should have said. Blessed are thou O Lord our God King of the universe. Who gives us bread from the earth. And that was what the disciples were expecting. And Jesus took it and blessed it. And they were all waiting for it just to repeat it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat of it, all of you. And this cup, of course, the third cup, was the cup of salvation or the cup of redemption. And they would take a piece of this matzah and they would eat it. And they would drink it just in the same way as we did this morning. That that's, that was the, the way they did things. But by this time, of course... The heads are burling. What's going on here? What on earth's happening? Because when they were about to take the cup of redemption, Jesus picked up the cup and he should have said, Blessed are thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who gives us fruit from the vine. But he said, This is my blood, a new covenant given to you. Drink of it, all of you, and remember me. I mean, imagine even thinking about 
even as symbolically asking a Jew to drink blood. I mean, it was just totally radical. So by the time these guys ate the matzah and drank the wine, they, they didn't know what to expect next. They just did not know what to expect next. And we, many commentators were a bit disputing about when this next episode occurred. But I think it was probably between the third cup and the fourth cup. They never actually, I don't think, ever quite got to the fourth cup. But the third cup, after that, was drank the cup of salvation, the cup of redemption. And they had eaten this bread and drank the wine. And Jesus got up from the supper. Now, it would have been normal. It would have been normal for when all these guys arrived, if they were just there on their own, even if there were no servants, that they would wash their feet. They would wash their feet. They would give each other a holy kiss and they would be anointed with oil so that it didn't smell too bad. Uh, because in these days, hygiene wasn't as good as it might have been. So, it was obvious for this next statement that, that the disciples, nobody had washed their feet. Now, it was to understand the culture of the Jews, you've got to understand that they were very pernickety, if you want to call it that. For those who don't know what pernickety is, they were... They were nitpickers about hygiene. I mean, there's no question or doubt that before they sat down to have the Passover meal, they would have washed their hands and their face and done all the ritual washing that needed to be done before they ate it. And yet, they should have washed their feet as well, but their feet had not been washed. It would have been normal, as I say, when they come in, that one of the lowest of the low servants, this was a job for the scum, basically. This for a job for somebody that you had no regard for. They were the feet washers. Do you remember the story when Jesus was in the, the Pharisee's house and the woman came and sat at his feet and, and washed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair? You know, and, and Jesus said to, to Simon the Pharisee, he said, you know, when I came in here, you should have anointed my head with oil to bless me as I came. You should have given me a holy kiss and you should have had my feet washed, but you did none of these things. But this woman has washed my feet with her tears. Those that love much, those that have been forgiven much, love much. You know, that was the... And so that's what should have happened, but it didn't. And you've got to remember this in the context that the disciples knew that this should have happened. It's not that they were ignorant of it. It's not that they didn't realise that, that feet should be washed. They knew it should have happened. And yet not one of them, although there was no one there to wash their feet, not one of them undertook to wash their own feet or wash anybody else's feet. But here we have Jesus in the middle of this meal. He would now show them the full extent of his love. In the middle of this meal. He took off his outer clothes and he wrapped a towel around him. And he poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and drying them with a towel. There's a parable here. You know, Jesus was always into parables. A heavenly story with an earthly meaning or an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, whatever way around you want to put it. There's a parable here that when Jesus got up from the table and, and humiliated himself, humbled himself before the disciples, you could say that he got up from his place in heaven and humbled himself to come to earth. 
He then took off his clothes. He bared himself. He took off his glory in heaven and brought him down to earth just as a man. He wrapped the towel around him as a sign of his own humility and his own frailness. He poured water into a basin to wash his disciples just the same as he poured, he would pour out his blood to wash his disciples. And then at the end of it, although we haven't read that bit yet, at the end of it, he sat down again. And after his work was finished, he went to heaven and sat down beside the Father. So there's a, there's a sort of parable there that the disciples may not have got at that point in time. Because Jesus said to them at one point, you don't know what it is I do for you, but one day you will realise what it is I'm doing for you. But this was a job intended for the, the lowest of the low. This, this was not some wonderful ritual that many parts of the church have turned it into with golden bowls and, and golden pitchers pouring out water and, and, and towels that are threaded through with gold thread etc. This was an everyday act that was performed in everyday guise by a saviour who wanted to be or wanted to show that he was just like us. And not only just like us, but beneath us. He was the servant, the servant king truly. Do you remember when John the Baptist, when John the Baptist was asked who he was and he said, well, I'm not the Messiah, but there's one coming. I baptize you with water, but he who comes after me will baptize you with fire, etc. And he says, this one who's coming his sandals are not even fit to untie. Now, we think, well, what is all that about? Well, that's to do with feet washing as well. Because the rabbis in those days had actually made a rule that although the feet had to be washed, the sandals had to be taken off and the feet had to be washed, they would never expect, the rabbis would never expect any one of their disciples to sink that low that they would that they would undo his shoes, take them off and wash his feet. It was just too low. But here we have not, it's not the rabbi's disciples that are doing the job here, it's the rabbi himself, the great teacher. And of course we see the reaction, I don't know what the reaction is, the rest of them were, but there, there was a stunned reaction. I'm sure there must have been total silence. After telling them that this was his body broken for them and taking the bread and taking the wine, and then getting up for the table. And the disciples must have looked at him and watched him walking around and thinking, what on earth is he up to now? And then he took off his clothes. I mean, literally, the word there means he stripped his undergarments and wrapped a towel around himself. Very soon he would be stripped naked and whipped and scourged within 24 hours of this. And he came to Simon Peter at verse 6 who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. How many times does Peter say no to Jesus? I mean, it's just, just, you know, I've got a sword here, Jesus. I'll defend you at the end. You just stand back, I'll sort it. No, Lord, I'm not accepting this. 
And Jesus quite calmly says to him, You don't know what it is I'm doing for you, Peter, but one day you will understand that the whole heart of Christianity is humility. That it's about laying down your life for others and taking no concern for yourself. I mean, this, this on the basis, these guys, yeah, they'd heard Jesus talking about having to die and go to heaven and all the rest of it, but they didn't understand it. We look back with, with hindsight, and hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, we see it for what it is, by the leading of the Spirit. But these guys said, really, they didn't know what was happening here. Jesus knew. And he knew that within 24 hours of this, he would die on a cross. And yet, this was his last, if you want to call it, humble act before his disciples. This is what it's all about, guys. And it's only going to get worse. You know, I've said this many times and I say it again. You know, there's, when we become a Christian, and I've heard Christians say it, I've heard pastors say it. Forgive me for it. But they said, you know, I might be a Christian, but I'm nobody's doormat. And I say to them, well, you're a doormat. And you've got welcome written right up your back. Because that's what it's about. It's not a case of, it's not a case of standing up for yourself. It's allowing the Lord to stand up for you. He who made himself the lowest of the low here. I mean, don't get me wrong. This would not be lost in these disciples. How could he do this? How could he wash our feet? One of the disciples, it might have crossed their mind as they come in, I wonder who's washing the feet tonight. Well, if Peter starts, I'll help him, you know, but I'm not doing it on my own. And here was Jesus, humble to the end. But humble in the sense that, you know, unless we understand the, the Jewish culture and the, and the history, we don't really understand what it was Jesus had done here. I mean, it's just... Yeah, we can understand the death and the cross, the horrible affliction, but this... In some measure, Jesus was taken to the cross and he was nailed to the cross and he was humiliated on the cross. And it was... In, so, in some measure, it was somebody else that did it to him, if you want to say that. The Romans hammered the nails in. But this was something that he did of himself. This was something that he... And Peter says, no. You're not washing my feet, Jesus. I'm not doing it. I'm leaving. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then the Lord said, Simon, Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. I could just picture Peter after having said no that you know, that I could almost imagine, I could almost imagine myself this burst of emotion. I could, I could imagine a lot of tears here at this point in time. Lord, if I need to be clean, then clean me totally, head to foot, top to bottom. And Jesus answered at verse 10, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, Not every one of you was clean. You know, he just piles intrigue upon intrigue. The disciples are just trying to get to grips with this. What he done with the bread, what he done with the wine, what he did with washing their feet. And then he says, you're all clean apart from one of you. You know, well, pardon, who is it? And I'm sure they all must have thought, is it me? Have I done something? 
I mean, how many times do we get the guilty conscience as a Christian? Is it me? Have I done something that's, that's brought about this situation or whatever? And of course, there was one of them guilty. And sometimes we have to go and ask the Lord, Lord, is it me? Am I the problem? I want to be part of the solution, but am I the problem? And then we really have to humble ourselves and go back and say to somebody, look, I realise now that I'm the problem and I want to be part of the solution. And we have to be a humble people. Humble the way Jesus was humble. You know, Jesus did this and you think, well, he humiliated himself before these people and all the rest of it. But he did this not out of weakness, he did it out of strength. He knew who he was. He knew what was right and what was wrong and he did what he considered to be right. Because the truth will always come out. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked him. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. And I don't think, in some measure, he'd use that as the parable. That was the custom of the day to wash people's feet. It's not the custom nowadays. We would see that as being strange behaviour if people wanted to wash each other's feet. But there's a spiritual aspect to this. And Jesus always spoke in the spiritual. The parable may have been in, a, in an earthly basis, but there was always a spiritual meaning. And of course the spiritual meaning is that we have to be humble before the Lord. We have to be the one who is prepared to be the servant. To put ourselves out. It's a daily sacrifice. That's what... Do you know Paul talks about as us, our bodies being living sacrifices given unto the Lord. That, that's really what it's all about. We have to daily look for him to inspire us through his Holy Spirit to move in directions that would bless other people and that would help us to love other people. So then we get to the bit here where Jesus tells them at verse 19 that you know he's going to die and that Whoever I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who has sent me. And after he said this, verse 21, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, guys, one of you is going to betray me. And so you see, remember the table set up, they're all lying there, they've all got nice clean feet now, and they're all lying around this table. And of course the great, great thing about a round table is you can see everybody. You don't need to peer out, everybody's there for you to see. And the atmosphere must have been electric in this place. One of them was going to betray him. And they were sitting looking at each other. Is it me? Is it him? Is it you? Do you remember when he'd done that? Bit, 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 that was what it was. Bit, that's what Jesus is talking about. When they were asking to be you know, high places in the kingdom of God, I bet you that's what's triggered this off. But we're, we're quite ready to blame other people, aren't we? We're quite happy to see that's his fault. Yeah. Here am I, Lord, sent him. <laughs> so Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And I, I don't actually know what it means to be troubled in your spirit, but generally when I'm troubled in my spirit, it creates an emotion in me. I probably cry or whatever. And I could imagine Jesus being emotionally drained at this point in time that, that somebody that he'd loved so much would betray him. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. 
And one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that was John, was reclining next to him. So that's next to Jesus. And Simon Peter motioned to the disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. So we presume, we presume that Peter was close by, John. John, he might have been the other side of John, and he kind of nudged John and says, Ask him. No, you ask him. No, you ask him. You're next to him. These are the kind of things that we do, you know. I'll get somebody else to ask him rather than bite the bullet and ask ourselves. And so John leans back against Jesus in verse 25 and he asked him, Lord, who is it? And you can picture this because he would be lying on this elbow and Jesus would be here and they would just lean back and say, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, Is the one to whom I give this piece of bread what I dipped in the dish? Now that was a, I've said this to you before and I just remind you of it, that was a tradition. And I think still is a tradition. There's a, a lamb stew on the table. This was the, the main meal at the Passover, was the cooked lamb. And the matzah, the bread, would be there. And Jesus says to John, the one to whom I give this piece of bread is the one who will betray me. And what John realised from that is that Jesus would give this piece of bread. He would fish around in the dish with the stew until he found what was considered to be the tastiest piece and he would fish out with a piece of bread and then he would give it to the one that he loved the most. And I think John must have nearly had a heart attack at that point in time. Because he always considered he had a very special relationship with Jesus. And so when Jesus pulled this out, dipping the piece of bread in, he gave it to Judas. He gave it to Judas, known full well. And Judas took the bread and Satan entered into him. What you're about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Judas had charge of the money. Some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. I don't know whether there was a look between Jesus and Judas. I don't know what was happening, but there was a great guilt obviously fell upon Judas at that point in time. Maybe he was feeling guilty because he had been exposed. Maybe there was a remorse in him. I mean, much of what happens today, we see people on the television crying and, and wailing over the things that they've done, but it's not because they're repentant of it, it's because they've got caught. But Judas left and went to claim his 30 pieces of silver. There was one cup left, the cup of praise or the cup of joy or whatever word they're using for it now, the Hallel cup. And this cup should have been raised with a piece of matzah that they had eaten because they were waiting for Elijah to return because Elijah would be the one who would herald the coming of the Messiah. And Jesus himself said it. He said, you know, if you can accept it, John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. I mean, he looked like Elijah. I mean, if you look at the Old Testament description of Elijah, you find him wearing camel hair and a leather belt and eating locusts and beard and hair. And Luke describes him that way in his gospel. 
And he doesn't describe him that way just for the fun of it. He describes him that way because he looks like Elijah. And he's in the spirit of Elijah. He comes to proclaim repentance to the people that the Messiah is coming. And sure enough, the Messiah has come. But at this point in time, this would have been the cup that would have heralded in the coming of the Messiah. There was always a chair left empty at the Passover meal. And they opened the door at this point in time and looked to see if Elijah was at the door. Because they knew that if Elijah was at the door, the Messiah would come immediately after him. And so Jesus took that fourth cup and he raised it and he should have drunk to the coming of the Messiah. I'm not going to go through all the sort of ritual of it, but it would basically be prophesying the coming of the Messiah. But instead of doing that, he said, this cup, this cup, the fourth cup, the cup that would have been drunk with the Messiah and his people together, he said, I will not drink of this cup again until I drink it with you and you in the kingdom. And so that cup stands on the altar of God at the moment. I always picture this. With Jesus sitting beside it, waiting for us. And he'll come for us and we'll go with him and we'll share that final supper with him, that marriage supper of the Lamb. And once again we'll be delivered from all the wrath that God's going to pour out in this world. And we'll be that righteous people that God wants. We will be his people and he will be our God. You know, whatever humiliation we face in this life is nothing compared to the righteousness that we're going to see when we get to heaven in that eternal life. So I offer to you this this morning as we take these elements, as we've taken these elements, just remember all the things that happened that night. When they had finished the supper, they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane and saw the whole process rolled along. And so, Lord, we just remember you today as we take these elements. We thank you for them and we bless you for them, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that they are only elements, but they're a great reminder, a great memorial to us, Lord, that our sins are forgiven. And they were forgiven in such a way, Lord, that not only were you humiliated on the cross, Lord, but even that night with your disciples, that intimacy with them, Lord, that where no one else would go, you went, Lord, and you washed their feet. Lord, it was, we recognise that it was considered an absolute athema to the Jews to wash another man's feet. And yet you did it, Lord. And help us in that spiritual sense to be the feet washers, Lord. Not to draw back for the things that we think might damage our reputation or people consider us to be silly for doing them. Lord, inspire us and help us through your example. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.